Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. So, I just want to begin, uh, I want to pile on what Britt said. A few years ago, a friend of mine who was going through a, just a long, drawn-out medical um, just a season, really. The weight of people's prayers. And man, uh, Tammy and I experienced that a year ago. And I was just reminded of it all this week. It's just literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were praying for our friend Tom. And I just want to thank you, church, for being a praying church. And not just saying, I'll pray, but actually leaning into prayer and um, we're rejoicing. Now, the prayer is, and I'm collectively saying this because I know Tom is watching online. Our job collectively is to pray that Tom stays in his recliner. <laughs> That's our job right there. In your recliner, Tom. We're just saying. We, we want you there. Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> Hear that, Tom? They're clapping for you to stay in your recliner. Yeah. By the way, did you know that clapping is the New Englander's version of amen? Yeah. <laughs> Down south, they say amen. In New England, we just clap. Yes, very good. <laughs> oh, gosh. You probably said it to someone along the way, right? That's a good idea. That's a good idea. It's just a simple phrase, right? It's a good idea. You should do that. That's a good idea. That, that might turn out well. Or maybe you've heard it. That's not a good idea. Not a good idea, right? It's just a simple phrase that backs up a bit of wisdom. That's a good idea. Not a good idea. Good idea. Good, good idea. So Jesus talked a lot about how to live. Good idea. Do this. Don't, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. Good idea. Not a good idea. And if we're not careful, what we do is we think that Jesus was giving us a a list of rules, like this is how you live. Follow these rules, don't follow these, or this is, this is, this is the list of rules. And, and if your vision of Jesus is a list of rules, it can be overwhelming and a bit unsatisfying. Because here's what happens. We, we think of, of a list of rules, like, like last night I went, to a, I went to a basketball game with my son, PC was playing Villanova, big game. The hometown boys won. It was great. But there's rules to basketball, right? There, there's, you know, when you play basketball, there, there's a certain set of rules. Like, you can't just stick this under your arm and run the court and dunk it. That's a different sport. This sport, you have to bounce the ball. There's rules. You can only take so many steps unless you're LeBron James, and you can take as many as you want. <laughs> Sorry, a <laughs> little bit of LeBron hate there. <laughs> Some of you love LeBron, and you're like, I'm going to a new church. <laughs> right? 
But we know the rules, right? It's like, oh, you gotta, you gotta bounce the ball if you wanna move down the court. You can only take so many steps without bouncing the ball. And sometimes that's what we think. We're like, man, Jesus rules. It's like a, it's like a basketball game. And I don't like basketball. I don't like those rules. They feel arbitrary. Come on. Bounce the ball three times. I just want to put the ball under my arm and walk up and down the court and do whatever I want. Right? That's, because here, here's what happens. What we think is arbitrary, we decide is voluntary. Like, this is, come on. Bounce the ball? I have to bounce the ball. I can put it right under my arm, walk up and down the court. What are you going to do about it? Right? I just don't want to play that game. But what we think is just arbitrary rules is, <laughs> well, why would I do that? What is arbitrary is voluntary. And that's the problem with thinking of what Jesus taught us as a set of rules for the game. Actually, they're, they're different. They're like the stop sign. It's not like basketball. It's like a stop sign. I did not steal this stop sign from your neighborhood, I promise. <laughs> I don't actually know where it came from. It was hidden in Kidstown somewhere, and I just borrowed it. So I promise you, there's no, all the police officers in the room, there's nothing illegal. I promise you. We just, but it's a good illustration. Because while we're thinking arbitrary rules, bounce the ball three times, you know, ah, come on, that doesn't make. Actually, the rules, the good ideas that God has given us are more like stop signs. Because when you come to an intersection, there's a stop sign. It's a good idea to stop. And you've probably had the misfortune of not seeing a stop sign and running through an intersection and then realizing halfway. I mean, not you, but the person next to you. And you're like, oh, right? Because when you run a stop sign, I mean, maybe you got lucky and nobody was coming the other way. Or maybe you didn't. But that stop sign is purely to keep you alive. Or in the lingo of Cape Cod Church, that stop sign wants to help you live fully. <laughs> that's, that's what it's about. And sometimes when we ignore the stop sign because we decide it's a basketball rule, we get hit. I mean, we just like run through God's stop sign and bang. Now, let me, let me say something about that car that just hit you because you ran the stop sign. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of different ways to think about this. You could say God sent that car to punish you. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. In fact, I don't think there is punishment for the follower of Jesus because that's all been taken care of by Jesus. But I do think there's discipline. And discipline and punishment are different. But here's what happens. Sometimes when you run a stop sign, you get hit. 
because we've broken a rule that was just intended to keep us, you know, living fully. And it's not that God sent the car, it's just that the car was there. Now, God may use the car and the accident to what we call disciple you or discipline you because the next time you come to the intersection, you will be much more careful about the stop sign. Like, oh, I need to be careful of those stop signs. Here's the point of this. God's rules are not basketball game rules meant to be arbitrary. God's guidelines, his good ideas are meant to keep us alive and give us a full life. So that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks, some good ideas. And I like to do hard things first. You too? Not a good rule? No, some of you are like, no. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> so we're going to start with the hardest one in the list. At least I, I think it's the hardest. It's the good idea of forgiving. Oof. Tough topic. Some of you are going, I should have stayed in bed. Forgiving. Man, forgiving is so hard. Whew. Jesus had a lot to say about it. That's a good idea. But we have struggled with it. In fact, <laughs> Jesus' best and brightest, this is great. Matthew 18, 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, you can tell Peter is not happy here. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Question mark. Seven times? How many, you, anybody want to guess how many times somebody had messed with him? He was done. And of course, Jesus replies, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> Peter was like us. Peter's like, no, no, not, not having it. I am done. Jesus is talking about all this forgiveness stuff, but there's got to be a limit on forgiveness. And so he goes to the authority, Jesus, and Jesus is not having it. But we're not much different. We, we, we struggle with forgiveness. And we have reasons. It's not that we don't have reasons. We have reasons why we're not letting it go. I wrote down some of my favorites. See if any of them fit. How about this one to start with? They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. That was Peter's. Seven times? How about you have your own version? They haven't repented. They're still doing it. This is the seventh time. I'm not letting it go. And this is only valid in our minds because we think 
that the benefit of forgiveness is only for the offender. Mistake. Or there's this one. Hmm. I love this one. I don't have to. I'm not a Christian. <laughs> now, I know I, one of the things I love about Cape Cod Church is that we have people from all over the spectrum, right? You're uh, people who are deeply committed believers, people who are new to the faith, people who are growing in the faith, people who are struggling in the faith, and people who ain't there yet. And this may be one of the reasons, because you're like, I'm not, I'm not buying into this whole Jesus forgiveness thing. It just, it's too much. Now, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I, this is a basketball game and I don't like it. I want to play soccer. I'm playing a different game. I want to kick the ball. Because in basketball, guess what? You kick the ball, foul. You can't do that. But in soccer, you can't touch the ball. Maybe you're like, I don't have good hand-eye coordination, but man, I got a foot. I'm playing soccer. And so this is the mindset that says, I don't have to. I don't have to forgive. I'm not, and, and honestly, if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, if you haven't given your life over to him, in some sense, you're not obligated to his rules. But remember, it's a good idea. And it's a good idea because it turns out we're not playing basketball and we're not playing soccer. It turns out it's just a stop sign. And there's somebody coming from the other direction. It turns out that the idea of forgiveness is backed by a theological concept called common grace. Common grace is just the idea that God's good ideas work. Because he created the universe and the universe operates according to his principles of sowing and reaping. And so when he tells us, don't do that, it's not because it's arbitrary, it's because he wants to keep us living fully, alive. I don't have to. Sometimes I talk to people and what they tell me is, I don't do denial. I'm not forgiving because I don't do denial. I, I've, I've seen what happens and I've seen what they do. And forgiveness sounds like forgetting and I ain't getting stuck in that again. Been down that road, been hurt too many times, not going to do it. You see, you've confused forgiveness and trust. Those are two separate things. You can forgive, and this is a separate message, but I'm going to give you the nugget of it. You can forgive somebody and still establish boundaries of trust. And sometimes a boundary of trust is an awful big boundary because there's no way to rebuild that trust. But you can still forgive a person and reap all the benefits of it. 
Here's the last one. I can't. I've been, I, I can't. I've tried, and it keeps coming back. I just, I just can't bring myself to do it. And all I want to say to that is this, is that sometimes forgiveness is an act of rebellion against your emotions. It's, it's, I'm hurting so bad. And everything in me says I deserve better. But I'm going to rebel against that part of me that is deceptive and says that I can run through this intersection without ever getting injured. You see, I'm not, I'm not saying that forgiving is easy. I'm just saying that it works. It's a good idea. I'm saying that forgiveness isn't overrated. It's misunderstood. We've missed how valuable it is. So I want to give you two verses that I think relay the power of forgiveness. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. Here's what it says. I love this verse. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, 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 remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember. Make allowance for each other's faults. You see, when I won't forgive someone I am holding myself up to an impossible standard. And when I forgive someone, when I decide to live in a community of forgiving, I set myself free of the impossible standard of perfection. We live in a world where there's all kinds of ways of communicating, right? Used to be you could write somebody a note and put it in the mail and send it off. And now, I mean, you can, you can call them, you can email them, you can... And I have, my, I have my personal favorite, like calling, email... I don't know how you do email, but my email, just so you know, I'm about, I give myself about a week to reply to email. It may sit there and it marinates like a good steak while I'm trying to figure out what to do, right? It just, but, but you know, and, and once a week I try and clear out my email inbox and it's like 350 emails and what are you going to do with all that? And then trying to go through it and 
But email for me is preferable for a phone, a phone call. Like when somebody calls me, like, like if somebody just out of the blue calls me on the phone, and I, I don't know, this is confession. Maybe you don't do something. When I look at the phone and I decide if I'm going to answer it or not, I first consider, do I have 30 minutes? Because once you're on the phone with somebody, you're trapped. Like, it's like, you can't just go, hey, I got 30 seconds for you. Right? It's like, we may be 30 minutes. And if I don't have 30, it's like, I'm just like, sometimes you just don't have, so it's voicemail. But here's what I love. I love, I love texting. Like, texting is my preferred love language. You know what I love about texting? It doesn't matter if you can spell. <laughs> <clears throat> True story. That's what I love. It's like there, texting has built-in forgiveness. And if you've ever texted with me, you know I take full advantage of this. I don't even care. <sighs> Send. Like if you're my friend and we text, you need the spiritual gift of interpretation to be able to understand what I've sent you. I literally said to a friend the other day who got a text from me and he responded and I looked at the text, I looked at his response, and then I looked at what I sent him, and I said, congratulations, there's no way I would have actually understood what I had sent you, but you interpreted it well. But that's sort of texting, right? Texting is like, you know, we've all got, you know, fat thumbs, and we can blame it on autocorrect, and nobody expects you to get it right. And if you're like the one person in here out of hundreds who like is judgy about people's texting, this sermon is for you. Let it go! <laughs> right? Because texting is like built-in forgiveness. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like fast, it's quick, it's fat thumbs, it's autocorrect. There's like all kinds of reasons. It can be misspelled and we, we accept it and we give it. It's a community of forgiving. I love it. It's like Jesus land. <laughs> and here's what I'm saying is when, when you decide that you are going to give people the gift of forgiveness. You have set yourself free from the bond, the weight of perfection, and you have joined a, a community of forgiving. And you might, be, you might be nervous or worried that that somehow motivates us to, to do less and it doesn't incentivize us to do better. It's, it's, nothing could be further from the truth. Forgiveness is powerful in its ability to transform us. One more verse. This one's even harder. James chapter 5. Verse 16 says, um, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There are a number of ways you could take this verse. And there are plenty of passages in the New Testament that remind us about the power and necessity of, of confession. You see, when I ask for forgiveness, this is next level, people. When I ask for forgiveness, when I go to someone and I ask for forgiveness, I find a forgiveness that's, that's better than being right because being right is what keeps us from asking for forgiveness. 
I've got to be right. I, I've, got to, I've got to look righteous. I, I've, got to, I've got to keep up. And so I don't want to, I don't want to confess. I don't want to admit. But there's, there's something powerful about confession. And it sets me free in a whole new way. Going to someone and saying, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Or maybe most powerful of all, please forgive me. Has the incredible ability to, to clean the slate and let us move on Or maybe an easier way to remember it is to clean the plate. You know how when you sit down to a good meal, I mean like when, on those rare occasions when we sit down with the family, we have a full-on meal and we put, you know, we put plates out and, that aren't paper and you know, we're going to have like, like, like meal together. You sit down and you finish, I mean you've just, you've just devoured this meal and, and the remnants are left on your plate. Right? A little bit of, you know, some spaghetti sauce and, you know, a little bit of Italian dressing and, you know, just remnants. Not, nothing, nothing left that you need to eat, but it's, it's kind of a mess. And it's time for dessert. You know what we do? We clear the plates. It turns out, I mean, you don't have to. Right? Nobody's making you. Nobody's making you clear off the plate. You can just take that big piece of carrot cake and drop it right on top of the spaghetti sauce. <laughs> Not a good idea, right? Clear the plates. Now here's the beautiful thing. <laughs> When you clear the plate, when they come up and they start clearing the plate, you know the good stuff is coming. It's like carrot cake. You now know my favorite meal, right? Bring it on. A little bit of spaghetti, meatballs, some carrot cake to finish it off, warm scoop of ice cream, but a clean plate, people. Please, a clean, just a, a fresh, clean plate. That's what confession does. It, it allows us to take the mess of the past and clear the table and set the stage for something beautiful that's coming next. Forgiveness is a hard subject. That's why we added a little bit of laughter. Some of you are here and you're like, Ben, I just, I can't. I can't forgive that person. And if we were sitting across the table from one, you would begin to detail the depth of the pain. And you may say, Ben, I can't bring myself to go. I can't bring myself to confess. 
And here's my guess. That many times the reason I can't forgive and I can't ask for forgiveness is because I've never really been a part of a relationship where I received it. All of the authority figures in your life have withheld it like a weapon. And you've never been on the healing, receiving end of life-changing forgiveness. Because, boy, once we've been there, it transforms us. And this is why our verse that we read a moment ago in Colossians 3.13 finishes with it says, make allowance for each other's faults. And then it says this, remember, remember, remember how Jesus forgave you. I just want to bring you back to Jesus because if you've never, if you've never experienced it, if you've never had that that forgiveness that stepped into your life and overwhelmed you and changed you, if you've never been in that place where you just felt broken and you had nothing to offer and you felt absolutely unworthy and you felt God say to you, I love you. I'm just telling you, it changes your life. I'm not saying we walk in it 100% of the time, but I can remember I can remember what it's like to be broken and feel like I didn't deserve much of anything. And then it's like God whispers, hey, 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 I love you. I love you. I know everything about you. Every story, every secret, every stumble, every sin, I got it. And I love you. And I forgive you. And that, that's what it's saying, remember. Because it changes you. And I just want to finish, listen, if you're here today and you've been on the fence about Jesus because you, you thought the rules were arbitrary, like he was messing with you, like you wanted to play basketball and you wanted to play soccer. I'm just telling you, it's not. He wants to keep you alive. He wants to give you a full life. And more than that, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. And you can go to him, and you can pour yourself out. You can tell him everything. You don't need to hold one thing back. And he'll forgive you. Just like that. It's his nature. It's who he is. It's why he came to dwell among us. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. So many places we could go with this. You may need these moments because there's someone in your life. God is calling on you to forgive. In some moments, it feels like you don't have what it takes. Remember what he did for you.
There may be someone you need to go to and confess. Clear the plate. Good stuff is coming. Maybe you're ready to embrace Jesus as your own. And I just want to invite you in the quiet of the moment to begin to pray to him and pour out your heart. Just tell him everything. Put it all out there and ask for his forgiveness. That's what salvation is. Put it all out there. God, you know every sin, every secret, every struggle, every stumble. I'm not hiding anything from you. I confess it, and I ask for your forgiveness. And here's his promise. To anyone who will pray that, he says in Revelation, he says, I will hear them, and I will come in, and I will dine with them. I will live with them. I will dwell with them. His grace is your gift. Father, thank you for each person. The one person, the many persons, Father, you are keenly aware of their prayer of confession. Would you remind them how much you love them? That your forgiveness would overwhelm them. Transform all of us, Father. Help us to remember what it's like to be forgiven, to be a part of the community of forgiving. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.